Good morning, everyone. Almost good afternoon. How are y'all doing? If you don't know me, I'm affectionately known around here as Pastor Rob. I was on staff for years here before I stepped down from ministry, and uh, I'm a full-time high school teacher, and I itinerate, preach at different places. Pastor uh, Pastor Mike was supposed to do a message today. He was going to start a series, and he called me yesterday, and he wanted to wait another week. He just didn't have piece who's kind of had a check about it so he said do you have something and and I said yeah yeah I, I got I got something yeah. um so I was excited uh and I love when the Holy Spirit does that um because it shows we're flexible and open to doing what he wants to do you know um how many want to do what he wants to do amen, amen. um we're gonna uh stand one more time and pray and then we're gonna get into the word okay you would stand and hold hands with your neighbor one one more time we've been doing a lot of prayer this morning but i want you to know that god hears all these prayers pray with me father god in the name of jesus we come before you endeavoring lord god to hear your word father you said that man shall not live on bread alone but that your word will sustain us god you said every word proceeding out of the mouth of the father will sustain us and you have made a decree that we shall not live apart from that word and therefore father corporately god we are saying and asking god that we would hear a word from heaven and not the opinions of man we don't want to hear what man has to say god but we want a word from heaven that will sustain us cut our hearts make our hearts burn and prompt us to know you deeper and be used by you in a greater way in jesus name we pray amen Amen. You may be seated. Um, <laughs> Pastor Otis was talking about feeding birds. The way my mind works, it reminded me of a, a funny thing that happened when my wife Chris and I were newly married. She had mentioned that there was a spot that would be good for a bird feeder. And she said, oh, that'd be a good place for a bird feeder. And you could look out the window and see the birds. So... I, the young husband that I was, endeavoring to impress my wife, went out to look for a bird feeder. And I stood in a feed and seed store staring at all the different bird feeders, and an old-timer walked up next to me. He looked at me, looked at the bird feeders, and he said, first one. (laughs) True story. (laughs) So I, of course, looked at him and said, yes. So he went and he picked me out one and handed it to me, and he said, That's a good starter one. (laughs) You know what he was thinking. Don't even look at these three holes, son. (laughs) So I took my small bird feeder home to my wife. It's kind of a funny story. And the way my mind works when he brought up the birds, I always remember that. Well, uh, it's good to be here. It's a beautiful day. Uh, One of these, uh, my, my daughter calls them Goldilocks days. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. I woke up this morning glad I was living in Florida, amen? I remember almost 15 years ago, I was in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains I lived, and it was about January and February, around that time, the Lord started moving on our hearts to move to Florida. I said, I'll do it, God. (laughs) Somebody has to go. I'm your man, send me. (laughs) Amen. Well, it's good to be here, and uh, I'm excited to share the word with you today. I really am. Um, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 12, and then kind of keep a finger in it and look at that, leave it there. I want to talk to you a little bit. Hallelujah. Last week, uh, this past week, I uh, I called my um, first pastor, Pastor John. Let's, we were, he was my pastor in New York for several years, Pastor John Napa, great guy, great man of God, taught me a lot. And we're, we're very close, and we don't talk all the time, but every four or five months, we get a conversation in. So I was led to call him, so I called him up, and uh, well, it was getting pretty late, and, but he answered the phone, and he said, Rob, which is not surprising, because that is my name, but he said, Rob, I was just sitting on the couch with Julie, and I was getting ready to call you. And he goes, I, I totally wanted to call you today, and then something happened with the kids, and I lost. And he goes, normally I don't even answer the phone this, this late, but when I saw it was you, I knew that we had to talk. And I was very excited about that. And that's happened before, and the Holy Spirit does that. You know, 
So we were gonna, I knew we were going to have this good God conversation. So we started talking and catching up, and then he shared with me a burden that he has for his children. He's got four kids like me, and um, he said, and they're older, they're older than me, um, than my kids, they're a few years older. And uh, he said, you know, the kids are doing great, they're doing great, they're good kids, and he said, but they lack power, but they lack the power of Jesus. It's, they're good kids, they're good godly kids, but they just seem to lack that power. And I, I said, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I said, I've been meditating on these things lately. And I said, and I really have something that I think I can share with you that's going to encourage you. Um, myself, I have four children, as I mentioned, my two oldest teenagers, and so I'm really more talking about them than the little ones. Uh, my two teenagers are really good kids. They, uh, you know, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't swear, they're not in relationships, they're not deceptive. They're good kids, but they still need encounter. You understand? And I started to talk to Pastor John about this, and I said, here's, here's the thing. And I told him a story from the Bible. Way back when there was a man named Abraham, and Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Well, Abraham knew the Lord, had a deep walk with him. I'm, this is Sunday school. I know you know this. And he, in his lifetime, he dug many wells. They would go to a new place and he would dig a well. But if you study closely and you read the story of Isaac, Isaac never had to dig any of the wells. He just redug the wells that his father already dug. And then you have the third generation, Esau and Jacob come. Esau is a very fleshly-led man. And then you have Jacob, who's a bit of an anomaly. Jacob's like one of those Christian kids that he, he's been raised in the Christianity, and he's experienced the blessing of it, but he's really never had an encounter himself. And uh, Jacob, you know the story, early on tricks his father, deceives him, and he brings him some food. And his father says, how'd you get the food so fast? And he says something that's very telling. He says, the Lord, your God, provided. Not my God, your God. As is often the case with the arrogance of youth, is, is I don't need your God because I'm going to make my own way. I'm a good kid. I know the rules. I know to, how to do the Christian thing. I know how to do the God thing. But I'm not interested in your God because I have a plan. I have goals. I have my own dreams. Well, Jacob went on from that place to reap a lot of the consequences of things he did. But at the same time, the Lord was blessing him. He would stick a pole in the ground and literally prosperity would break out. You need to go to Genesis and read it if you don't understand what I mean. All this blessing that was on Jacob's life was because of his grandfather, because of his father, because of their relationship with the Lord. And now you have Jacob that's reaping the benefits of growing up in that particular environment, even acknowledging later on that he's heard God his whole life, but never really answering the Lord. When he has his moment, years later, um, his brother Esau is coming to kill him with a bunch of men. He's going to kill him. He's going to kill the children. He's going to kill the wives. And this is enough to make any man seek God because it's not just him now, but it's his family. He finally seeks God. And his prayer is, you know, the, the God of Abraham acknowledging my grandfather knew you. The God of Isaac, my father knew you. The God who said to me, acknowledging that I've heard God speak my whole life. And then he says, the God who I'm not worthy to receive the least of your mercies. And it's telling because he goes through this process of living in this blessing, but never really being thankful because he never had to dig his own well. You understand what I'm saying? And when I told Pastor John, I said, I told him this story and I said, listen, I said, your kids and my kids, they never lived where you and I lived. They never had to go through the things that we went through. And so because of that, they never had to dig their own well. From the time they were in the womb, the word of God was spoken over them. They, they've always known a mother and father who love each other. They've never known any type of abuse or alcoholism or, or sexual abuse or, you know, mom getting hit or any of those. They never experienced any of those type of things that a lot of people, a lot of people's background, things that they come from, but they've just been raised in blessing. They've just been raised in a, in a godly place and like Jacob, they've been blessed because of that, but never really understood that they needed to be grateful, never really understood that they needed to dig their own well. 
And one of the things I tell my kids all the time is it's wonderful that you guys are such great kids, but you need to have an encounter with God. I tell them all the time, you have to know God for yourself. You cannot live on my encounter with the Lord. In the same way that Jacob, in the time when the enemy was coming to get him, he couldn't live off the fact that his grandfather knew the Lord, but now he needs his own encounter. And here's what I encouraged Pastor John with. I said, listen, here's the good news, is that when, when the heat was on, Jacob knew where to go. You understand? And he knew how to dig a well. And then the Lord met him there. And that's the encouraging thing, is that the Lord is faithful to our children and to our children's children to provide a unique set of circumstances for everyone to ultimately, because he loves us, lead us to a place where we have an opportunity to dig a well when we recognize, you know, the God that my dad's been talking about all my life, I need him. And I remember when I was a kid, and I'd had an encounter with the Lord when I was like six years old with my, with my father. Many of you have heard the story where we had an encounter. But um, I grew up, you know, in the world knowing about God you know, because I'd met God when I was young. And then my dad was always like, you know, you need the Lord, you need the Lord. And I was like, yeah, yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah, dad. And until the day came and I had to dig my own well. And then once I dug my own well, I understood what my father was talking about. How many of you know what I'm talking about right now, right? And that's what happened to Jacob. And I was able to encourage Pastor John because I said, look, our kids, we just need to keep telling them that, they're gonna, that they need to have an encounter. And the Bible says if you raise up a child the right way, then they'll not depart from it when they're old. Well, my point in telling you this whole story is it's not just our kids who need encounter, but it's us. I'm just going to hang there for a second and let you consider what I'm saying. I was watching an uh, interview with a, a Muslim man, former Muslim man who converted to Christianity. He wrote a very famous book now called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And here's what he said. They asked him, well, what led you, you know, to the Lord? And he goes, well, was it apologetics, that type of thing? Apologetics is basically um, the, the uh, yeah, the arguments for Christianity. It's, it's the philosophical, it's, it's the factual type of stuff. It's the conversations that they can have. Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. He was born. He said this. So that maybe you would start to open up yourself to believe. But what he said was apologetics started to get me to question and started to get me to seek. But these were his words, not mine. He goes, but everybody needs to have encounter. That's what he said right out of his mouth. And then he went on to describe that his encounter came in a dream. Three times he had three dreams where he encountered Jesus, which is very popular in how the Lord is visiting his Muslim people. Um, one of the reasons is, is they actually do not believe you can hear from God in prayer, but they believe that the Lord will speak to them in dreams. So when Jesus started showing up in his dreams three times, let everything be established by two or three witnesses, it, it, he had finally made the decision where he was like, I cannot ignore this any longer. Speaking of dreams, just a side note because it's exciting. Uh, two weeks ago I had a dream, and in the dream, I was asking Mary Rarick to, to pray for us um, to get a new van. In the dream, the Lord was telling me, you need to go to Mary. And so I was going to Mary, and I was, I was asking her, please pray for us to get a, a new van, because we drive a 98 minivan. And it's older than my kids that are in high school, and it was on its last leg. So last week, I saw Mary, and I was like, Mary, I had this dream that you're supposed to pray for me um, to get a new van. So I was like, so will you pray for me? And so she tore it up in prayer, and the next week, we came back to church, and we, we had a new van. Um, what happened was is that all the grandparents got together and they went, went halves and then we'd save some money because we've been good stewards, Dave Ramsey. And uh, so we were able to get a, a new van. Isn't that awesome? But uh, that's a big deal if you have four kids, okay? A nice running minivan, you know? I never thought that I would be so excited about getting a van, but I'm, you might as well have given me a Rolls Royce. I mean, it is, it is so nice. It is, it's got buttons. We still haven't figured out what they all do. Um, but point being that the Lord speaks and still speaks in dreams. Um, here's what I'm getting at is that we need encounter. We have to have our own encounter with God. I tell my kids all the time, you know what? I, I'm glad that you're a good kid. I'm glad that you get straight A's. I'm glad that you're a good athlete. I'm glad that you don't do these things, but you need to know Jesus. You have to know Jesus for yourself because you're never going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, my father knew you. You understand? Michael Fronte, it's funny that you're here. You, you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> MF, he understands now, right? He understands. You've got to dig your own well. 
And there comes a time for all of us that we must dig our own well and find the Lord. And here's my concern. I believe that the, the church environment in America and in other places, um, we're setting up very much, you know, the type of environment where we want people to come and it's comfortable and all that type of thing in the hopes that, you know, that maybe they'll stick around and, and hear the gospel. And because of that, I don't believe in this place, but I believe the church culture in America has been somewhat compromised because I believe that there's a lot of people that go to church every week because it's routine. And here's my concern. This, the Bible never said that, um, that Jesus would, was going to say, depart from me, you never knew enough about me. And I want you to consider what I'm saying. It said that he would say, depart from me, you never knew me. And that is the issue in the church. Do we know Jesus? Because at the end of the day, it's the only thing that matters is that we personally have encounter with Jesus. Because we can learn everything there is about him and not know him. We can be involved in the church culture and not know him. I want you to understand, being a high school teacher, I have a unique perspective because I get to see all the Christian kids at school. And I want to tell you, they know how to play the game where we open up the church window when we're at church. And then we're at school now, so we minimize the church window. And then we open up the school window. And now we're not at school anymore. We're at soccer practice, so we open up the soccer practice window. And when we're not at soccer practice, we have our social media and we open up the social media window where we create this buffer zone, this image of who we want people to think that we really are. Are you hearing me? The problem with that is who you really are is who you are when no one's looking. And we can create, put so much energy into creating this buffer zone that we can actually start to believe that that's who we are. You know what happens when we do that? The last place that we want to be is in the presence of God because in the presence of God we feel exposed. Because He reveals to us who we really are. And then that sometimes keeps us from that because we're afraid of that. Even in preaching sometimes, um, you'll find that when the, when the Spirit of God really begins to move in a worship set or in, in a preaching and He's really doing something in the Spirit, a lot of people that really want to only connect with God in their minds, they back way off. I don't understand this. And so therefore, I will not participate. How many know what I'm talking about? Because what happens is there's a place where this whole encounter with God bypasses your mind because it's something that's spiritually discerned. The Bible says renew your mind. Your mind needs to catch up to what's going on in the spirit. You understand? And so when we try to minister only to the mind, then it's easy for people to go, hmm, and then not really change. Because the word of God, when it's preached, is supposed to cut your heart, not your mind. Are you hearing me? The Bible said that when John the Baptist went out and preached that the entire region followed him out there. The entire region emptied to go hear the word. The Bible said that when Peter on the day of Pentecost stood up to preach, that 3,000 people were cut to the heart and got saved. The Bible says that Stephen, the one who was the first martyr in the church, he stood up and preached and they were cut to the heart and they picked up stones and stoned him to death. When the word of the Lord is preached, there is a response in the heart. And my concern is, in Christianity, is as we are careful to not want to have that experience because it seems so final. Because what if the person gets cut and walks out the door and never comes back? And so we want to create an environment in this American Christianity where everybody can feel comfortable enough to hang. And then the problem with that is you can open up your church window and you can come to church week after week, year after year, and you never know Jesus. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you that Jacob knew the religious thing. He grew up in it. His, his grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. You know, he was prophesied, Jacob, while he was still in the womb. They understand, he understood the religious thing. But his whole response was, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I don't need that. I'm going to make my own way. And so I want to tell you that when the word of God is preached, the temptation is to say, uh, well, let's not get crazy. We need balance. Balance is a fancy word for compromise. Because we want God to be 
a part of our life, but we don't really want to be one of those people where he consumes the whole life and takes over everything. The problem with that type of thinking, hear me now, is that's not going to um, get you through the times that are coming. Listen, I was sitting here in first service, standing here worshiping God, and the Lord spoke to me prophetically about something that's going to happen in this country. He told me very specifically, in the same way that you saw the events leading up to the Holocaust, where Jews were stripped of rights, and then over time began to be beaten, and violence broke out, that you're going to see that happen in America, that the hatred and the contempt for Christ in this country is going to spill over in violence towards Christians. Those of you that are seniors among us, just think about how much this country's changed since you were a little kid. Even when I was a little kid, this country loved Jesus. There were mangers everywhere at Christmas. It was taught in the schools. It was, it was an accepted part of our culture that we worshiped Jesus and that, that has changed to not only do we not worship, but a contempt and a hatred towards Christ. And I'm telling you prophetically that the Lord spoke to me and he said that is going to overflow in violence in our lifetime in this country. The same spirit behind the Holocaust, you understand, it, it was because the Jews were God's chosen people. That's where the hatred comes from. Why the Jews? Where the hatred? It's demonic. Well, who do you think that, that Satan hates in addition to the Jews? The church. That's why you see all the, the demonic stuff that's behind the scenes. That's, and I'm telling you, it's going to spill over in violence. And it's going to happen in this country. And, and you know what? The, the God window will not sustain you during the times that are coming. Now, here's the thing. When I say these things, a lot of people are like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear that. You're a fanatic. See, but listen to me. Okay, I, I'm going to tell you the truth because the truth will set you free. And you need to know that if you do not have encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have your own personal faith rather than your grandfather's faith, you will compromise during the times and the seasons that are coming on this earth. I'm telling you right now, it is not enough that you spend all your time in church if you don't know him. Jake, listen, Jacob spent all that time there and he was experiencing all the prosperity and it was all breaking out in his life. But even he got to a place where he realized I need God. And I want to tell you, especially if you have people praying for you, that the Lord's going to lead you to a place in your life where you are desperate enough to realize that you need to dig a well because he's faithful. Now, here's my prayer for my kids, and I know a lot of my buddies for their kids, is, is that our kids will not have to go to such extreme circumstances as Jacob did and others do to recognize that they need God. But ultimately, here's the thing. As much as I love my kids, it's their choice. All you can do is tell them that you need encounter. All you can do is tell them every day that Jesus needs to be first. That you've got to have a relationship with him. That you've got to have an encounter with him. That's all you can do is tell him. See, listen, I want to tell you right now. If all you do is try to pass on good morals, your kids will never have encounter. That's usually what happens in the third generation. You get a generation that gets on fire for God. They pass down the good morals to their kids. And then the third generation, they rebel. Because they try to pass them down morals instead of a relationship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because your kids need to know God. Now listen, God's kids need to know God. We all need to have encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ because if you have your own personal encounter, if you've dug your own well, then nothing will shake you. But if all you have is granddaddy's religion, you're not going to cling to that during the times that are coming. How many can say amen that that's true? Now listen, I realize people, you know, it's like I don't want to hear that. I want to hear prosperity. I want to warn you, the Bible says that in the end times that the churches will fill up with people who with itchy ears. They want preachers that are going to preach to them what they want to hear, and they don't want to hear the truth. I Listen, you know what? I would love to tell you, man, you're going to live in suburbia, and you're going to be blessed. You're going to have a white picket fence, and you're never going to have any problems. You're going to have a boat and another house up in the northern mountains in Georgia, and, you know, and everything's just going to go awesome for you, and you're never going to have a problem the rest of your life because Jesus. Only problem is, is that's not Bible. The Bible says narrow and difficult. I mean, how, how do you balance that? Let me tell you something right now. Somebody who's not had encounter with Jesus is not choosing the narrow and difficult path. 
The only thing that makes you want to go that way is you've met him. You understand? And I remember when my dad was telling me and I was like, and I had an encounter when I was a kid and I was still like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But then there comes a day when you feel the weight closing in on you like Jacob and you're like, I need to dig a well. The good news is I knew that Jesus was the Lord. I knew where to go. And see, now it's like you get caught up in worship and people haven't had that encounter. They don't understand that. It's like, what? you know, why do you want to worship God so bad? And it's like, because I know him. And the more you know him, the more you want to know him. And the more you know him, the more you don't want to know anything but him. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And so it's, it's like, all you want to do is worship. I mean, you're worshiping God. And when pastor stands up to shut it down, you're, you feel like a kid who got called in on the playground. You know, you know, you're in the playground and you're like, it's dinner time. And you're like, ah, I know the vegetables are good for me, but can I just swing for another hour? I just want to swing. Who knows what I'm talking about? Like, I know I got to go eat those vegetables, but oh man, I'm experiencing Jesus right now. And then there's somebody, somebody right next to you that's never had an encounter and they're just like, I wish this would stop. It goes on and on and on. It's like, do you know why? Why? You don't know Jesus. <laughs> because if you knew him, you want to worship with me. Are you hearing me? See, what happens is, is there was a day in my life when I looked at the cross and I recognized I'm guilty. And I need his forgiveness. And when in that moment when I was exposed like Jacob was and I realized, and then I realized that he had made a way and had been good to me my whole life despite my attitude, it makes you think, God, I'm not worthy of your mercies. It's the same thing that happened to Jacob when he realized you've been blessing me all my life. I've been hearing you speak all my life and I've totally ignored you. It's like, God, and now in my hour that I need you, I, I'm calling out to you, will you answer? And the great thing is, is that God does answer. Even then, he's like, I will. He's like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change you. I'm going to love on you and I'm going to change you. I want you to open up to John chapter 12 if you, if you haven't yet. You guys getting fed a little bit, amen? Amen. Come on, somebody shout. <laughs> somebody run around this place. I'm sorry, the spirit of Schombach was all over me. <laughs> all right, chapter 12, verse 27. Listen, this is, this is the one scripture. I was here on uh, um, Good Friday. How many were here Good Friday? Wasn't that awesome? Oh, it was so great. It was just so, that, I mean, listen, if you missed it, you need to come next year because that is the way to spend Good Friday. It was so incredible. But I was uh, standing over here worshiping God and the Lord spoke to me the scripture. And so when pastor called me, I was like, I do have a word and I, I don't really don't understand the whole thing. But here's what the Lord showed me. It starts in verse 27, chapter 12. It says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Watch. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by, this is the part I want you to really get, heard it and said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel had spoken. And Jesus answered and said, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. I want you to understand what's going on here. Jesus cries out to the Father, a voice answers. And some people are like, it thundered. And other people are like, it was an angel who spoke to him. And then Jesus corrects him. He does a little time out and he goes, time out. This wasn't for me. It was for y'all. Jesus is from the South. How many of you know that? <laughs> he said, it's for y'all. This is your issue that you need to deal with. I hear his voice. If you're hearing thunder, you need to get that straightened out. You understand? This is my point with my son. When I talk to my son, I talk to my, my daughter. If you hear thunder, you need to deal with it because I don't hear thunder. I hear his voice. I've had encounter and when he speaks, I hear him. If you're hearing thunder or you think it's an angel, then you need to straighten that out. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Because there's a whole group of people that when God speaks, they open up their little God window and what God is speaking doesn't fit into their window. So, ah, it's thunder. It can be disregarded. And then somebody else says, it wasn't even for us. It was an angel. Something really spiritual. Reminds me of these people on these talk shows who open up with something like, I consider myself to be a very spiritual person. Every time I see that, I say, come out. <laughs> I'm a very spiritual person. It was an angel and the angel was talking to him. And Jesus was like, oh, wait, hold on, time out. 
this wasn't for me. I know I'm already hear his voice. It was for you. And if you hear thunder, you have issues. <laughs> That's the point. God spoke and you heard thunder. Your, his, your thunder, it has to be thunder because his words don't fit into our little church Christianity box. Because let's not get crazy. Let's not be radicals. Let's live a balanced life. There's nothing wrong with living. God wants us to live about. He wants us to eat from all the four food groups. That's the kind of God that he is. He wants balance. He doesn't want you to be radical. Now, inevitably, here's what happens. When you hear this type of preaching, you have two choices. You can either receive it or you can reject me. Because nobody's going to outright say, well, I reject God. So then they have to say, well, the minister, he's always been a little out there. And just because he lives that way doesn't mean that we have to live that way. Just because he says those things doesn't mean that we have to be that way. Listen, let me tell you something right now. If, if your life is not consumed with encounter, you are in trouble because of the times that are coming. That you came to church, you, how many of your tithers? <laughs> Hopefully, raise your hand if you're tithers. Okay, all right, listen, y'all are tithers. That means you're paying for the truth, right? I want you to get your money's worth, Okay. You're paying good money. All, people are always like, the church, all they ever want is our money. I was like, well, here you go. Here's why. So you can hear the truth. You paid good money to hear the truth. You didn't want to come here and hear a lie. Right? And then you don't know Jesus. And then all your life you think you're fine. In the end, Jesus is like, I never knew you. And you're like, I paid good money. You know what I mean? How did this happen? I don't understand. People are like, oh, church, all they want is your money. They never complain about it at the store. You go to Publix, they only want your money. <laughs> right? You go to, go to Bush Gardens, you know, nobody's like, all they want is our money. <laughs> right? But the church, all they want, and yet we're offering something that goes a lot further than Bush Gardens and Publix, right? Entrance into a relationship that will define your eternity. You understand that how you live here is going to affect how you live in eternity? Y'all need to have one eye here and one eye in heaven, I'm telling you right now. The Bible said that he said eternity in our hearts and every man's heart. And the reality is, is that how we live here and how we respond to God here will affect how we spend eternity. Not just heaven or hell, but in, in levels of the things that we experience and do for God in the seasons to come. This is a very short little trial period where God is looking at us and wanting to know if we will believe his word and respond in faith. And you know what he says? Seek me first. I mean, it's the principle of first things. That's what the tithe is all about anyway, right? right? First fruits and all that. It's all about he, God wants to be first. He said, seek me first. He doesn't want a God window, a work window. You understand? A sports window. He, does, he doesn't want to be one of your windows. The problem is in our American Christianity, that's more convenient for us because that doesn't challenge us. Are you hearing me? I want God to be a part of my life. Listen, there are a lot of people, they don't really want God. What they want are good morals. You know what I'm saying? And they'll tell you all the things. Well, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. Do you know Jesus? You know what I mean? We've done a good job raising our kids um, to not do bad things. They don't. I mean, my son talks back to me every once in a while and, or gives me a look and I feel like throwing him through a wall. But besides that... <laughs> He's a really good kid. <laughs> I always have to remind myself, you know, it's that and not, you know, doing something crazy. But even being a good kid is not going to sustain you when you stand in front of Jesus. I need you to understand that. The goal is not that you follow all the rules. You understand? The Bible says if you love him, you obey him. And people think that that means I have to obey him to prove my love. No, if you love him, the obeying flows out of that relationship. Now doing the right thing doesn't become, I have to choose to do the right thing. You naturally do the right thing because it flows out of His grace. You understand? You love on Him and then all of a sudden you find the grace to follow the rules. Because, you know, C.S. Lewis said that he goes, uh, I didn't know how bad I was till I tried to be a good person. <laughs> you understand? And so in your own strength, when you try to do it all in your own strength, you find out very quickly, I can't do this. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Right? And then if you I can't follow these rules. And then if these are the rules, I quit. And see, that's what the law does to people. And then the last thing they want to do is be, be around God because they feel like God makes them feel guilty. 
You understand? They think it's a guilt relationship where you got to keep all these rules, uh, and if you don't do these rules, and I won't love you, and you can't have a relationship with me, and this and that. That's, that couldn't be furthest from the truth. I was an absolute mess when I cried out for Jesus when I was 24 years old. I mean, I was empty as an empty person could be. I was lost. I did not have direction. I was, you know, and the thing is, is you cry out to God, you come to an altar, and then you experience his forgiveness, and then you're like, God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Change me. Anyone ever done that before? And then he starts changing you. (laughs) And you're like, this hurts. (laughs) What was that in there? Right? Feels different than week three. (laughs) Week three, it's like, you got to come to Jesus. All your problems will be over. (laughs) Right? Big glow on their face. I got saved. They're telling everybody. I love all those new converts. You know what's a shame? I heard a, a buddy of mine, Dean Nefaradis, he's coming here soon, so uh, you guys will love Dean. You know what he said to me? He goes, you know what's a shame? People get saved. They're all on fire and they witness. They sit in a church 20 years and then, then they become backslidden. Don't ever let that happen to any of us, right? Let's keep our vibrant love like the first season alive. You know what? In the, in the first season when you got saved and you were telling everybody about Jesus, you need to keep doing that. If you keep doing that, you'll find that there's still a flow. There's still a flow for you to do that. You can still talk about them all the time. And I'm going to tell you what, you know what? And, and even if people don't receive you, they'll respect you because they understand where you stand. It's the people that are like, oh, I'm a Christian, but then they never will stand up for what they believe in. I heard it said I won't give a nickel to testify for somebody's faith or, or a nickel for somebody's faith they won't testify about. If you really believe, then stand up and show you believe. If you don't, you need to get saved. <laughs> As I mentioned to you about the itchy years, during the time that the Romans were coming to Jerusalem, 70 AD, to overrun it, to destroy the temple, to kill all the people, there were 60 prophets on the wall who, who declared that God would never let it happen, that he was going to protect them, that good times were coming, peace and safety. And the, the Romans came and killed all the people. They tore down the temple and they killed all those prophets too. We can always find people to tell us what we want to hear. But we won't always find people to tell us what we need to hear. And what we need to hear is that we need to have encounter. Listen, we need to meet him for ourselves. We need to dig a well for ourselves. If we don't have that well, our own personal well, if we're trying to draw from somebody else's well, it's no wonder after a little while we're like, I don't want to do that anymore. But when we've had to dig our own well and we've met him for ourselves, that encounter will sustain us through anything that's coming our way. This is what I want to encourage you about. The Bible says that there are very difficult times that are coming. The Bible says they will be more difficult than any time that's ever come on the earth. So think Holocaust and think more difficult than that. We don't want to see, I don't want to hear this either. But that's what the Bible says is coming. You understand? And in those times, I'm telling you that the only thing that's going to sustain you is, is that you have a relationship with him that transcends this world. That when you get in his presence that you realize that this stuff is temporary and that you're going to be able to make it no matter what. And that doesn't come through religion. That only comes through relationship. That only comes with personal encounter with him, that you are so enamored with him and you know him so well and, and how good he is that when you get in his presence, that everything falls to the wayside because you recognize no matter what, you're going to be okay. No matter what, it's going to be all right in the end. And as much as none of us want to experience these things, they're already happening in different parts of the world. You do understand that there were hundreds of thousands of people that lost their life for Christ last year. And as I prophetically told you that it's coming to this country, do you you guys see how the buildup is coming and it's going to erupt in violence? It's the only thing that that can happen based on what's happened is it's been building and building and building and ultimately will cross a line. And the Lord even was showing me something. It was a little sketchy, but he was showing me something about that the court systems, there would be those Christians that would be killed or, or violence would be enacted against them and that the court systems were actually going to protect those that inflicted the, the pain on the Christians. It was hard, hard to wrap my mind around, but if you look at history, that's exactly what's happened. There's been imperial persecution of God's people since the beginning. The Jews and the first three centuries were the imperial persecution, the government persecuting the Christians from Emperor Nero to Emperor, Emperor Constantine. Christians had no rights. If you were a Christian, you could be killed. Your wife could be raped. Your, your children could be stolen from you. You had no rights if you chose to follow Christ. What happened then? The church was very pure for obvious reasons. Nobody joined the church unless they really believed. There's certain parts of the world right now, if you convert to Christ, it might cost you your, your life. 
in certain countries. That's going on in the world. And, and, and you know, what happens is, is we live in these buffer zones and we just like, oh, no, we have our little church window. That can never happen here. Listen, if that or when that begins to come this way, at that moment, it's like the virgins. You can't say, give me some oil. You guys understand? You, you can't say, hey, come on, give me some of that intimacy. You need to have already had that intimacy. You need to have already had that. Really. Well, how was I supposed to know, God? Well, because I sent somebody and told you that the times are coming and you need to dig a well. See, we all have choice. That's what I tell you, even with my, my children. I tell them all the time, and, I, and sometimes I get the, yeah, Dad, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I keep telling them. Almost every day I'm like, you need Jesus. You need encounter. You need to have encounter with Jesus. My encounter, I know, Dad, I know, that. You know what I mean? But you keep telling them over and over and over in the hopes that when it comes time that they need to dig a well, that they'll know where to go. Are you hearing me? The better goal with that would be they would realize at a young age, you know what? I don't want to go the way some people go and experience that stuff. I just want to accept Christ. You know, you know what I mean? That's the best way to go. The best testimony ever is got saved at five, whipped the devil's life for 80 years, devils for 80 years in, in my whole life. That's the best testimony. Is that I, you know, I, I'm telling you, sometimes people feel guilty because they don't have some horrible story, you know, about how they were in great sin or whatever. And, you know, and they're like, I don't really have a great testimony. You know, I, I, I've been following God all my life. That's a great testimony. Are you kidding me? That's so much better than I was a loser and thank God he saved me, you know? Please share those testimonies. Those are way better. And, you know, we need our kids to get inspired. And so what we need to do is, is we need to foster environments where they can encounter the Lord's presence, where they can learn to worship Him in prayer and, and in worship and in the Word. And, and, they, and, and we teach them. And, and then the same for all of us. I'd like you real quickly to turn. We're closing to Job uh, chapter 1. I want to share some stuff with you there. I hope you're encouraged. The Bible says that those that know their God are going to do great exploits during the times that are coming. This is the most encouraging part of all. For those of us that have had encounter with God and stay hooked up with God, the, it will be the most glorious time ever to be alive. And I want, I want you to understand something. No matter what happens, when you stay hooked up with God, you won't be in fear. Isn't that the great thing? So you hear about some of the stuff that's coming, and it's like, it sounds scary, but you know what? God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So we're not going to lose it. You understand? We're still going to have love and walk in love, but we're going to have power. And the Bible said in the book of Daniel, in those end times, during the times that are coming, in the really dark seasons, that those people that are hooked up with God are going to be the ones used greatest by Him. I'll tell you right now, that's something to look forward to. The Bible said, Jesus said that it's good that I go away because when I go, the Holy Spirit's coming. That's what's implied when he said, you'll do greater works than me. It's not that we're greater. Some people, they're like, no, no, I'm not greater than Jesus. No, you're not. But when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you can do what he did. And the whole idea is that when the Holy Spirit comes on the whole church, think how much can get done. And in the midst of all the darkness, there's going to be, a, a, listen, massive revival. The very fact that you're not losing it when everybody else is, that you actually have a faith that sustains you during dark times is a great witness to those that are in darkness. I promise you, and all those people now that may laugh behind your back, you know that when they're desperate, they come to you and ask you to pray. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've had a lot of that. But when something goes wrong, I have family members, they mock you this and that, but they have a hard time, they know who to call. And it's not Ghostbusters. All right, this is a stupid age. <laughs> Bad pastor. <laughs> I can see. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. There was a man in the land of Uz, chapter 1, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. You know the story, right? Again, Sunday school. Okay. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. There's been people that are trying to find problems with Job their whole life. Well, he must have done something wrong. But the whole book opens up telling you he was blameless. The idea why people want to find that he did something wrong is because when the terrible stuff starts going on in his life, it's terrifying to people to think that you could follow all the rules and still have all this bad stuff happen to you. 
And his friends, they start telling him, you must have sinned. You, you, you must have had some secret sin. You must have done this thing. He calls him out in chapter 6 and he goes, you're all terrified. This brings terror to you when you think that I'm innocent and yet I've experienced the things that I've experienced. I want you to know something. Job, first of all, is a type and shadow of Jesus. He was an innocent man that experienced things and then made intercession at the end for his friends. And I, don't know, I could teach a 12-week series on that. I don't have time for that. But here's what I want you to do understand. He lost everything. He lost everything that he held dear, okay? Everything that he held dear was taken from him in a day, like in a single moment. It was one servant, another servant, another servant coming to tell him of all his losses, the greatest one being his children. We know because the book tells us, dramatic irony, that Satan was behind the attack. And it looks like God said, go after Job. If you study the original language, it's more like God saying, I see that you've targeted Job There's nobody like him. He loves me. And then Satan kind of says to him, well, of course he does because you've given him all this stuff and you've hedged him in and you've blessed him. And God kind of makes a bet and he bets on Job. He goes, go ahead, touch him, do whatever you want to him. He'll still love me. How awesome is that? Do you know how much glory that brings to God when you go through difficult stuff and you still choose to worship him for who he is? Let me tell you something. The Bible says that you worship God for who he is, not what he can do for you. We don't one week, we had a good week, we worship God. I got a van. Next week the van breaks down. I don't worship God. It doesn't work like that. Hopefully that wasn't prophetic. (laughs) You never know. I mean, Caiaphas prophesied it. (laughs) You understand? You don't base your worship and your devotion to God, listen to me, based on circumstances. Your devotion to God is based on who He is and who you're not. Are you hearing me? He's God and He deserves your worship and that's all that you need to know. He's God. You're not. Therefore, we will worship Him. You know, there was that song, you know, you know that He's in heaven and I'm here on earth. I'm going to shut up right now. <laughs> You know, I'm going to let my words, you are God in heaven, I'm on earth, I'm going to let my words be few. I don't know what I'm talking about. You're God, I'm not. Are you hearing me? That's the proper attitude when approaching the Lord. And that's why Jacob was like so nervous when he got before God because he realized he's been blessing me all my life and I don't deserve one ounce of it. Are you hearing me? He was living in the blessing of his grandfather and his father. And he didn't even deserve it. And he didn't even recognize it. I believe that's the issue with America. As we're living in the blessing of our forefathers who actually sought God. And then we are erasing and eradicating him from every part. It cannot go well. You understand? That's why I'm telling you. This this thing is not going well. When you look at how rapidly things have changed and God is being rejected in our culture. And if we think, well, bad times are coming. Is God a big ogre? No. If God were to continue to just bless, 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 no one would ever dig a well. Are you hearing me? And so because of his mercy, he will remove his hand. So that we would recognize that we need him. That we would grope for Him. That we would repent and say, The God that my grandfather and my ancestors knew, I don't deserve your mercy, but I'm crying out to you now, God, and I'm grateful that they even mentioned your name. And even though I never wanted to hear it, I need you now. That time is coming to America. But there's always a remnant who stay hooked up with God no matter what. I want you to look at Job's response. At the very end of the chapter, chapter chapter uh, 1 Verse 20, after everything had come to him and they had told him all the stuff that happened, he says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. Listen, the book of Job was the very first book ever written. So you see Genesis, and they, they were not written in chronological order. The way, they, the way they appear in the Bible is not the order they were written. Job was the first book that was written. Therefore, the first time that the Holy Spirit ever breathed the inspired word of worship in the scriptures, it was right here. That's the first time the word worship was ever God-breathed that it was written down. After all this stuff that went on with Job, that his response was, I will still worship you. Today, my brothers and my sisters, we need to bond together and encourage one another to worship God 
to go after God no matter what happens. That we draw a line, that we make a decision, we set our face like flint and we go after the Lord and no matter what happens, we decide that he's good. See, so often as Christians, like we become skeptical. I believe it's part of the culture. God says something and the circumstances say something different and so we're so quick to doubt God. You understand the Bible said he's not a man that he would lie. And so if the scriptures declare, you know, God says this and the circumstances are contrary, we have to go with God. See, because you get, it's like the little cartoons when we were kids. They got Satan on one side and, and you know, and they used to have a couple of angels, a demon and an angel. And they're both telling you, and whichever one we agree with is established. You guys see how that works? The Bible says, let everything be established by two or three witnesses. You can, you can establish the witness of hell or you can establish the witness of heaven. And God is saying, look, I don't lie. Just believe what my word says. And here's the thing. If, if we believe all the way to our graves, the Bible says, if we die without receiving the promise that we receive a testimony of faith, and then there's an inheritance waiting for us. See, the Lord doesn't show us everything on the other side. Why? Because it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of Exactly. So we're preaching the word of God. It gets you inspired. All the stuff that you're feeling and thinking right now, those of you pulling on me and receiving, that's God. All the things that are going on inside of you, that's faith being built up inside of you to receive that word. It's like when we walk out of here and we're faced with all the different windows in our lives that the circumstances come and they try to steal that word. What does the Bible say? Satan comes immediately. I mean, I remember Chris and I, when we first got saved, we left church fighting every week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We don't anymore. You get through that. But it's like the devil comes immediately and tries to take that word because he doesn't want that seed. See, the Bible said that, that, that you can't sin. You can't sin against God because his seed remains in you. I want you to see that, that that word that goes in you is a seed. And over time, that thing grows and it produces something. It produces the image of God inside of you. Yeah. But it's a seed. And so sometimes we struggle when we're going through this. And we're like, you know, how can I be this way or think this thought? When God's in me, I must not be saved. And the devil's like, no, you're not saved. You understand? And you have all this confusion going on inside of you. You have to remember, God's seed remains in you. And because God's seed remains in you, that ultimately it's producing Christ on the inside of you. Isn't that exciting? And that means that you are more than an overcomer. That means that you're going to be able, because of encountering that word inside of you, to be sustained during the times and the seasons that are coming. If you stay hooked up to him, you will find the strength to overcome any circumstance that comes your way. Are you hearing me? People, it doesn't, won't even make any sense in the natural how people are able to get through stuff that they have to go through, but it's because they really believe in God. And this life, after all, it doesn't matter. That's why Job was like, look, he said, naked I came into the world. The Lord gave, the Lord take away. Either way, he's Lord. You understand? He gives and he takes away, but either way, he is God and he is worthy of my praise. And despite all the things that are going on, I will make a decision to choose to worship. Amen?